evening. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zinati Kuba. Tonight, Drikas Komring from Capicraft and Alex Days from Umtombo Wealth join me to unpack your stock-related questions. Be sure to send those questions via SMS to 41392, email at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Thanks so much for your time, gents. Alex, is there just no good news on the markets right now? It seems that uh, from all angles, there's just uh, bad news. Uh, China is still disappointing data. Looking at the trade data that did come out uh, in the U.S. markets are panicking again about the Fed's monetary policy. Yeah, is there just no good news? It's good evening. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's expected really. Um, you know, the fear of inflation once again is, is starting to raise its head, mostly due to high oil price. And obviously, the market always anticipates that we have quick recoveries, and it's rarely the case, right? So, any thought of an indication that interest is going to be higher for longer spooks investors. And that's what we're seeing at the moment globally. And I think, but that's the reality we are in. I mean, the fact of the matter is, we had very, very loose fiscal monetary policy for quite 15 years. And there's consequences to that. And we simply have to take those consequences on the chin now by having high interest rates and trying to fix imbalances by doing structural reforms, reducing the spending on budgets, etc. Trying to get some form of growth through what's called it traditional methods of economics uh, period and then hopefully can go forward. But yeah, so yeah, that with that, uh, investors' emotions will continue to swing on a, and a pendulum from being too optimistic to too negative. Mm. And the moment there's a bit of fear, also remember, well, if you look from calendar effect, September tends to be a bit of a weak month historically. Uh, so any bad news as well leads to that. So, but tends to follow by a strong Q4, but who knows? But it certainly there is good reason to be concerned at the moment to some extent. Yeah. I, I mean, at, at this point, Drikas, then with all this bad news, will the resources yeah. uh, complex continue to be the one that's the most hit? I, I think there's... Uh kind of fighting the last war, kind of um, thinking around resources. You know, resources fell during COVID. Obviously, when the world stands still, you don't need too much resources. You need food and water, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and in the glo- gro- uh, global financial crisis, resources, you know, also just fell through the floor. Um, uh, and that was mainly because of the big boom uh, and maybe bubble, some would say, that preceded that great recession um so i'll be careful just to use the last two big market meltdowns to um you know and and just make a draw a parallel between those uh sell-offs and and the basically the the current environment uh in other recessions in the 70s in the 40s in the 1910s uh commodities actually did quite well in nominal and real terms so uh, and that includes the equities that so in, in a certain kind of recessionary environment commodities does just fine hmm. uh, there's a question here on commodities um every day on stockwatch there's a question on commodities really an interesting sector right now alex um anticipating uh, this is a question anticipating an uptick in commodity stocks and then the viewer says simple question but uh, no doubt a difficult answer uh, nevertheless i'd appreciate the panel's response so anticipating an uptick in commodity stocks but that would basically mean that you you found a bottom alex wouldn't it I think commodities are very broad, so it depends which commodities as well, right? So I think if we do enter a global recession, um, as that some commodities will do well, others will perhaps not. I think something like iron ore, 
I'm starting to see how Iron Ore is going to do well if China continues to be weak, right? So, so that's a commodity I would say that's probably going to be in the bear market for extended period of time whenever whenever it starts happening. Um, PGMs is a difficult one. No one really knows what's going to be have the impact of of you know electric battery, batteries and are we going, are we going to require PGMs going forward? But there's certainly a risk to the downside there. And obviously, the likes of nickel uh, and copper. Lithium, etc. These commodities does seem to have a different demand supply type of situation, and as a result, the outlook's a bit different. Another one I would highlight is coal. I think with with all the um, focus these days on trying to switch off coal plants and not investing in coal, I actually think it's going to take much longer than people anticipate. To actually, move away from coal to the renewable, and as a result, there's going to be a lack of supply of coal. So, I actually, think there's going to be a structural growth story in coal and perhaps other fossil fuels like oils, like we've seen so far. So. It's, it's very, very broad. It depends on, on, on a commodity. Um, so, yeah, you, you can't just have a broad-based approach and say all of it will do the same. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. Uh, I hear that. Uh, Drikas, so which commodities then would you be betting on in terms of uh, an uptick, uh, maybe in the medium term? Well, I think where most of the misallocation has happened the last few years or decade or so, it's in energy. So, um, And I do think some energy markets uh, in general – uh, not only in this cycle, but uh, does, uh, you know, um, perform in a quite uncorrelated fashion. Um, we're long uranium. I think I've spoken before this, uh, you know, on the show a few times about uranium. So we own the physical uranium through uh, phys- through a uranium trust. Um, there's a few. Uh, and then we also own the biggest uh, player in the market and also the biggest producer with this, which is... Uh, on the planet, which is Kazatomprom, which comes with a little bit of geopolitical risks. But if anything would happen to the supply that Kazatomprom from Kazakhstan delivers, you can just imagine what will happen to our physical holdings, the price of uranium. So I think there's an uncorrelated plan. I do think coal will also be uncorrelated going forward. Um, and a lot of a lot of the base metals, copper, uh, cobalt, chrome, nickel, even tin, um, you know, those aren't being driven by the same factors that they were driven by in the the great bull markets in the 2000s. They're not necessarily driven by uh, consumer goods, you know, by new cars being sold, new fridges. Obviously, those are happening in India and Indonesia are driving demand for stuff like that at the moment. But I think what's happening is in this energy transition, we need a lot of copper, we need a lot of other base metals. And... Um, Sure, in the recession, those those might sell off initially, but I think structurally, um, you you should have some exposure to those. Uh, if if you think there's a uh, some transition going on, um, I'm skeptical as to how far we can take that uh, transition to uh, electrical economy. Um, I think we need a wall somewhere in the not too distant future, and that's why we still long fossil fuels as well. Yeah, just sticking with you, Drikas, I'm going to come back to you, Alex. Uh, obviously, you've mentioned all these, um, you know, metals that you're betting on. But in terms of miners, then, uh, which ones would you be going for in, in, that hold these metals? Well, I- any one of them that doesn't hold iron ore is a good start. So um, that, that immediately dismisses Billiton, Anglo-American, Vale, Rio Tinto, all the big ones. All the diversifiers have become so overweight iron ore the last few years because of the rise of China, you know, building skyscrapers and 
and infrastructure to nowhere. I think that's that's done. Huh? So um, yeah, I think there's a much better story for the other ones. And then just look at better capital allocators um, in this in those sectors. Um, I'm not going to name any names. Yeah. Locally, we've we've got some someone that does have iron exposure, which I do think is actually great capital allocators, Afrimat. Um, okay. But it's it's on an expensive side relative to some of the other miners. Uh, all right, Alex, on your side. I mean, to tie this up, stocks as well as Africa market, assuming that's where the investors is looking to. Mm -hmm. I mean. Based on what Bricus and I've said, I mean, stocks like Lenko, Big Coal, Big uh, Copper, South 32, which of course got aluminium and likes of other exposure as well. If you want a pure tin play, it's Alpha Mint, but it's in the DRC, so I would say be cautious, do some work on that business, make sure that you actually do want to invest in it, but it's interesting play. Um, and then, yeah, then perhaps if you want, want single commodities, which is a bit of a risk, but if you want pure coal in Tungela, you know, things do pick up in Gela will be quite attractive to these prices, but you take obviously a, a, a bet on, on the coal price. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on uh, to more questions. So we have one here on uh, tourism, Sun International. Um, can you give your view on Sun International before their report comes out next week? Uh, Drigas, uh, would you be going for Sun International right now? Not really. Uh, well, we did see that uh, City Lodge came up with um, some better figures recently. So uh, there might be a read through, but not really the same company. The one relies on business and government travel, um, a little bit of uh, tourism. And the other, um, Sun International, is, is more of an entertainment company, really. Um, so, no, um, not the same. I can't do the same read through. So I'm skeptical if they're going to have the same. Um, Positive surprise uh, in their figures. I'm not too sure, and um, it's it's not. There's not a lot of margin of safety in the valuation here. It's still much cheaper than it was, you know, pre-COVID, but um, the company is just not getting getting there yet. Maybe they surprise us. I'm not betting on it. Hmm. Uh, Alex, would you be betting against or for Sun International? I'm actually quite optimistic about uh, Sun International. I think they've right-sized the cost base substantially and that's for all the hotels entertainment businesses so we've seen that you know as the revenue recovers there's been a much improved um, operational leverage coming through these businesses and as a result very strong cash generation is coming through so uh south um southern national last of the results paid a very high dividend and i anticipate that go the balance sheets are much better nick than it was historically so um also even though something else doesn't matter that much from tourism but i think Due to the rent being so weak and the cost of living crisis we're seeing in lots of the developed countries, it's actually quite cheap for foreigners to come to Africa. So I do think tourism, seeing the numbers to pick up, I think it's going to come more. And the hotel group specifically will benefit from this because they can easily increase your prices by 15, 20, 30 percent in rent terms and still in dollar terms is attractive. And obviously the cost base is much lower. Uh, so I think uh, watch out for South, uh, South International. Um, Southern Sun, I think, could also be one that can do quite well. But... Obviously, unfortunately, the underlying economy in Africa has slowed down and business travel is not what it used to be. So those facts play against it. And as a result, you know, I, I hear what Rika says. Some form of caution is required as well. But at the moment, I'm sticking my neck out and say, yes, I'm the national. I think it's going to give a good set of results. Uh, more questions. Uh, Drikas, I'm going to be coming to you. Uh, please ask the panel how they would allocate equity capital between the SA Top 40 and S&P 500. I think one shouldn't break it up like that. So 
going to avoid the question and reframe it. Or I think we should, what we do is we, um, we break it up into emerging markets and developed markets. So SA is just part of the emerging market bucket. Um, I do think we are overweight emerging markets relative to the all country world index, um, by some degree. And, um, in that we are overweight SA, not because um, from a macro perspective that SA is, you know, the place to be. <laughs> it's most definitely not. I think valuations look very interesting in SA, firstly. And secondly, we do tend to have better info um, around the companies here. So we've got a, we've just got better um, competence here navigating these waters and uh, we know the management teams better. So, so we are overweight SA, but that makes part of our emerging market uh, bucket and um, generally emerging markets. What I've seen from discretionary fund managers, they typically allocate somewhere between 25 and 35% to EM within the equity basket. Um, I think that's, that's, uh, I would push that up to between 35 and 50. Um, uh, over the next decade or so. Ah, all right. Interesting. Uh, Alex, how would you be breaking it up? Uh, the the viewer says between uh, JC Top 40 and S&P 500. Tricker says between uh, developed markets and emerging markets where uh, they overweight emerging, uh, particularly South Africa. On your side. Um, I think it's important to differentiate between the uh, emerging and, and developed, as Tricker says. Um, I'm going to assume that this viewer is as African based and is buying ETFs on the local market. So it's got limit, less options available. Right, so I think what he needs to do instead of just S&P 500, obviously you've got other options in the USSL, NASDAQ, the Europeans, uh, UK, um, even the Asian markets as well, you can consider. Those are all developed markets and you should consider all of those. And obviously as uh, an emerging option as well. So I think the problem of buying an ETF in, in the US at the moment is it's been all run by the tech stocks um, and they're quite relatively fully priced uh, at the moment. I think an active manager in the U.S. that doesn't buy the tech stocks, I think can add more value at the moment in the, in the U.S. market, simply buying ETF. Obviously, I would, you know, and also be careful to compare historical returns to the future. When the U.S. market has massively outperformed over the last 15 years due to the unprecedented monetary policy we've seen in that country and et cetera. And that's, that's we're not going to see a repeat of that going forward. So, and then obviously your starting point, the valuation pay is very important. So if you're going to pay top dollar for, for an overall market and the growth is going to be the same going forward, your returns are going to be disappointing. So I think in the valid market space, it's probably better opportunities than in the US unless you do more stock specific. And I agree with you because when emerging markets actually underperformed dramatically since 2011, give or take. And at some stage, it will be a bit of a reversal there. Our valuations are not more palatable and any small changes can cause a bit of a snowball effect and sentiment and, and money will flow back, etc. and could make a big difference uh, in emerging markets. Ah, all right. Let's move on to more questions. Uh, there's a question here on MetAir. Uh, your take on MetAir, CEO resigned, massive drop in earnings uh, for the full year 2022, but no share price move in corresponding period. Currently has a buy rating, but share price seems to suggest a drop in half-year earnings. Unravel the puzzle, please. Of course, it did have a torrid year uh, last year. Of course, one of the drivers there being the KZN floods. And of course, we had that leadership overhaul as well. Uh, what are you making of MetAir right now, uh, Drikas? 
not only the floods, um, and hopefully, you know, some of these will mobilize in, in, in coming periods, uh, including the one, you know, the six-month period that they should report on any day now. I'm not sure what, what the date is set for, but uh, they should report the six-month, the interim statements uh, any day now. Um, but they also had, you know, hyperinflation basically in some of the countries in Europe and Turkey. That was a big problem. Obviously, in Romania, they affected by the war. Supply chains was a problem during and after COVID. So some of that will normalize. Um, but it's difficult to, to make an assessment at this stage. Um, maybe after the statements that will um, uh, provide more light on, uh, uh, you know, where things stand. But um, I must say, I, I feel completely in the dark, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, things have been quite shaky, Alex. Uh, is this one that you, you look at? And, I mean, Trikas does say that some of the th those things will normalise, but um, I don't know, is there enough confidence on the stock? So, for things to normalise, you need time. And yeah. if I look at our balance sheet and cash flow statement, they don't have a hell of a lot of time, in my opinion. So the last set of results was horrendous, specifically from a cash flow perspective. I think they burned like five or six hundred million, you know, uh, for, which is very material for business that's give or take 3.2 billion, 3.5 billion market cap, right? So uh, I think the balance sheet is in, is in a very bad shape. Um, Turkey, as we all know, has gone through quite a difficult period of a number of years now with hyperinflation. So it does seem like they're trying to use more traditional uh, monetary policy going forward, but you know, there's been damage to the economy there, and Turkey will take time to recover. Um, so at the same time, you've got all these countries' translations, the over online economy struggling, and as Duke also says in the East, in Romania and so forth, you've got all these issues at the moment, supply chain issues and uh, the war happening there. And locally, um, on a motive side, where they predominantly develop um, the Yotas and so forth, you know, the, the market's probably going to come down considering how bad the economy is at the moment. So, But that business also tends to be quite volatile. You, know, you have to invest a lot of money setting up a new vehicle, then you make some cash. Not a great yeah. business. That's pretty much a four or five PE business. So that, but that's the reason why I actually went overseas to try to be more batteries, more integrated that side. But it's been very difficult for them. And you can see the share price over the last five or so years has been disappointing. I think the stock has actually hold up better than I thought it would. Mm. Um, you know, I, when I initially went for results, I thought this thing could be in for hammering, like we've seen with likes of Cup and so forth, but it hasn't been that bad as of yet. So let's wait for this set of results. I, th I think I'll be reluctant to want to jump the gun. Let's see the set of results, see if things have gone better. If things have gone better, you can reassess. If things have gone uh, backwards, I think there's more pain to come. No, all right. Um, Richmond. Uh, experiencing a little bit of pain there. There's a question. The Richmond share has come off lately. Is this a good time to invest in the share or does the panel believe that the share price will come down further and what would be a good entry point to get into the share? Uh, this is quite an interesting one because there have been comments coming from the company that the luxury goods market uh, is starting to kind of feel the cracks of the weakened uh, macro economy. And I mean, this is uh, a market that, you know, has been said to be very, very defensive. Um, Drikas, did you see this coming? Yeah, I was a few months or weeks ago when Richmond was uh, up near his all-time highs. Uh, cautioned investors, um, potential investors against Richmond. So, uh, yeah, sage advice if you took it. Um, well done. <laughs> um, sometimes we do get it right as well, mm. and I still think it's 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 not cheap enough. No margin of safety. Uh, I'm, 
I just can't be a bull in this environment on on luxury goods. Um, it was very China dependent. I think a lot of the buying is traveling, um, a pickup from from traveling post the Chinese lockdowns. Um, so typically, you know, they've got outlets in a lot of uh, tourist spots like Hong Kong, Macau, etc. And and even you know in Switzerland, for instance. Um, a lot of their sales don't go to local Europeans. It goes to, uh, you know, tourists. So there was a good pickup in tourism post-COVID. And obviously that, you know, um, was through to luxury spending. Um, and I think that that cycle has now passed. That wave has passed. And uh, I'll sit back and look at sales stabilizing from here before I get in again and before I make an assessment on, on what kind of value there is. I mean, I think, though, we have seen, I think, maybe in the past year, uh, some exaggeration when it comes to um, the the reactions on the share price that, you know, every little bit of bad news, um, the the stock would tank by about 20, 25 percent. Looking at what's happening now, um, Alex, would you say that this maybe could be an overreaction or that it's it's actually kind of a, a structural thing at this point? Look, I mean, it's, I think it's important to remember um, that luxury is a cyclical industry. I mean, and we do go through uh, peaks and troughs. Um, obviously, we've had a tremendous period of love late now. So, and it's tied to people's wealth, right? So, wealth being assets, value of assets, shares, properties. It's not your salary type of individuals that go buy these stores. You know, it's people of real wealth. So, whenever there's a pressure in the economy, or asset prices. Will probably buy a bit less and then obviously when there's a good time they will buy more because they feel more wealthy so i think that's important to understand i think richmond is still very well positioned in the long term i mean the business is an excellent cash very strong balance sheet generates lots of lots of cash but it can go for a period where it is going to be handled or your earnings could drop 50 60 percent even because that's happened that's happened before it can happen again and that means that short term is very difficult to say the moment where we are moving into because if we do move in a downturn no, I'm a bit circumspect. Otherwise, you know, could perhaps hold revenues for the time being, but that will obviously have an impact on the margins because we see big cost inflation at the moment, so it's difficult. But if they continue to grow earnings, then perhaps it's still worth a hold. So it's, it's not that easy at the moment. It's not as conclusion as it was perhaps 18 or so months ago. Mm-hmm. So as a result, our conviction has also dropped quite a lot on, on Richmond. Uh, but if the view wants to hold this for five years plus, it's, it's fine. But certainly shorter term, I don't know really where it's going to go. Yeah, all right. Well, gents, let's get to your stock picks for today. Thrikas, who's your conviction high on today? Well, I'm buying uh, some of the worst properties in Pretoria and Johannesburg. It's called Octodec. Now, lying. There's a, there's a few gems in there. Um, but it's, it's the gearing has come down to below 40% loan to value. Um, and you've got a strategic share all in there. I'm not sure what they're going to do with the shares, but one might wake up one morning and they've sold it uh, or they make an offer to the rest, you know, to minority shareholders. Um, that's always important. We just saw what happened to Liberty uh, two degrees and, and with the strategic shareholder. And it's sitting um, at a, basically at a 20% free cash flow yield, uh, even accounting for a 80, only a 80% occupancy. So 20% is vacant. They've got a 20% vacancy plus. Um you know, that, that says something about the quality of, of the assets, poor quality. But uh, even accounting for that, sitting on a 20% plus free cash flow, 
and they're only paying out 75% of that, that still gives you about a 15.5% um, dividend yield while you wait for uh, some value to be unlocked because there is sitting at a 75% discount to net asset value. I'll take net asset value with a pinch of salt, but even if they can sell those properties for 20 to 30% lower than what the accountant says, says it's worth, you, uh, you're bound to make a pretty penny. And like I said, you, you're being paid some dividends while you wait, a lot of dividends while you wait. Small part of your portfolio, there's a lot of risk in there. Uh, major tenants tend to be government uh, departments, etc. Uh, all right. And on your side, Alex, what are you picking? Yeah, so I'm going to stick, stick my neck out a little bit and go for, for Mastic. Um, so they, but my calculation is trading about half book value at the moment. Uh, I think they're going to give operationally a good set of results which is going to come out in the third or so week of, of September. Um, but of course, we saw the announcement a couple of days ago that one of the associates tax, remember it's important, there's only a minority asset they have, came out and experienced some fraud there with that, linked of course to AO. But that doesn't impact, in my view, the domestic investment. Domestic, I think, is going to release a lot of working capital that's going to allow them to do share buybacks, pay nice dividend, you know, continue to invest in the business of incorporation. I think the business is going to do well. You know, um, so I think it's, it's still for me very attractive and valid. Nothing has really changed from the core business, in my view. Um, so I must, that's the reason I'm saying stick my neck out because I'm saying it before the results comes out. But uh, I don't, so I think my stick at the moment, buying a half book value, I think is very attractive. Ah, all right. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time, gents, and your analysis today. That's it for Stockwatch this evening. Thanks to our guests, Trickers Combring from Capicraft and Alex Days from Umtombo Wealth. Coming up next, the close day with us.